Hi, everybody. Greetings and salutations. Today we begin with uh, episode number 181 uh, of our Bible studies together. Uh, still covering the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Now, in the last uh, lesson, Christ had, uh, had uh, done some very good teachings. And uh, this chapter 15 is uh, one of my favorite chapters in Mark. Um, I've uh, taught many studies on the topics that we'll cover today. Uh, where you can really get into some deep theological discussions, which is not what we're here for today. We're here just to introduce uh, the truth and teach the truth and not go on too many tangents, even though, as you know, I may do from time to time. Uh, but uh, this is a good chapter. And... Uh, what happened on these teachings from the last chapter is that uh, Christ had gathered some large crowds, and with those large crowds had uh, included some sinners that our Pharisees and, and Sadducees didn't approve of. And, and that's where we begin today. And uh, watch what Christ does about that, okay? Here we go, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, it's important to point out here um, that these people who were supposed to be the religious leaders of the time were so uh, what's the word ladies and gentlemen somebody raise your hand and tell me where people think so much of themselves that other people they consider to be literally beneath them and and what what What's so shocking about this is that these are supposed to be the people that should know the word, okay? They should have studied the Pentateuch. They should have studied the law of Moses. They should have studied the prophets. They should have studied Solomon and his Proverbs. And one of my personal sayings uh, is that you cannot be saved until you are willing to admit that you're lost. And Christ wants everyone to be saved. I want everyone to be saved. The Father wants everyone to, say, to be saved. But if you have such a... You just can't say it without using colorful metaphors, really. But if, if you're so full of conceit and self-aggrandizement that you can literally believe you're better than somebody else that you shouldn't even associate with them, 
how can you even consider that you're a man of God? You see, one of the great, great things that Christ taught was that the value of a human soul literally is greater than the entire world in his words. And so if an individual has um, suffered circumstances that are such that they have become considered the dregs of society, well, how would that person, the soul that, that resides within that human body that you're chastising, how would that soul have performed if he had been raised in a different situation, if he had been placed in a different situation, if the circumstances of life hadn't chopped him down? And Christ is, is teaching us here in these parables today that the human soul is what is precious. And that's what we're here to save. And these religious leaders just, uh, Dr. Luke just points that out so well, time and time again, how they, they found fault with everybody. But, but they were supposed to be the representatives of God. And Christ, of course, has something to say about this. And that's where we're going next. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who, who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, this parable can be uh, <laughs> taken in a lot of different directions, but let's Let's look at it from what Christ was saying to these people. Let's just take it at face value. Okay? Now, these sinners that these uh, lawyers, these Sadducees, these uh, Pharisees and teachers of religious law, these sinners, these tax collectors that they were complaining so much about, did Christ approve of their sins? No. No, of course he didn't. Remember what he said? Well, you might not have heard it, uh, but I taught a little bit about it in Mark. But we get into it again in Matthew, uh, where we talk about Levi, the tax collector, and what Christ told him to do, and how he promised to change his ways. Well, here, these sinners that the... Pharisees were complaining about, 
They were following Christ. They were listening to his teaching. And what did they do? They, they said, hey, this Jesus is right. What we're doing is wrong. They began acknowledging that they were sinners, and they began following Christ around. Well, if, if you are a sinner and, and you truly repent and acknowledge Christ as Lord, that causes Christ to gravitate towards you. He will bestow spiritual help to you when you make that acknowledgement. That spiritual help is in the form of the Holy Spirit, and he will begin blessing you. Well, what did these Pharisees do? Well, did they show grace to these lepers, these social lepers? Uh, did they even show social grace? Okay, not even grace, but just common decency and manners. No, what they did is they said, well, this, this Jesus is just, just, just this, you know, I don't want to use a word here, but they use the fact that Christ was associating with these quote-unquote social and moral lepers as a means to cause him blame. But what they should have realized, if they read their own word, their own teaching, their own Pentateuch, their own laws as handed down from Moses, is that Christ was fulfilling his very purpose that was prophesied, okay? Why he came into the world. And so that's why Christ is, is answering them in this way. He's teaching them in the form of what I call the parables of the lost. I've actually written a book on it that I haven't published it yet because I don't want to get into to too many theological issues. That's not my job. My job is just to teach those that want to learn, you know, to introduce them to Christ. And so what is Christ doing here? He's teaching them the parables of the lost, okay? Well, these stories that Christ, we've only gone over the first one here, the parable of the sheep, next is the lost coin, and after that is the lost son, also called the prodigal son. Well, these stories that, that, that Christ are teaching are aimed directly at the scribes and the Pharisees. Why would Christ aim this story at them? Because they themselves are lost. You have to become broken. You have to, to see yourself as broken. And you have to admit that you're broken, and admit that you're lost, okay? You have to admit that. You have to admit that you're a sinner. Every human being that has ever lived is a sinner, period, okay? And these, these religious people were so caught up in their... <laughs> I so want to use a colorful metaphor because I was I, I, I was raised a roughneck. 
but I, I educated myself out of it. But sometimes only a few colorful metaphors will will apply uh, to to teach a point uh, with a little bit of humor. But uh, these guys were so caught up in their own selves that they they just couldn't admit that they were lost. And, and so that's what Christ is teaching here. Okay, they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, refused to admit their own faults. And there's so many people that do that. You see, what, what brings joy to God, what brings joy to heaven, is to see, is for God to see one of his creations as broken as we all are he still loves us. And that's just astounding if you consider how many times man has failed God from the Garden of Eden to the Tower of Babel to the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah to, to, to murdering great prophets like Isaiah just over and over and over again. Man has failed God and continues to do so. But he still loves us. That's really astonishing. Okay? That's how righteous God is. Well, what brings him joy is for one of us broken down old huss of a human being to say, you know what, God? I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. Please help me. I accept you. I accept the sacrifice that you made in your son, Jesus Christ. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Please bring me home. Please heal me. Okay, thank you for loving me. God loves it when his broken down children finally admit that we're lost without him and want to come home. That is what brings God joy, not people going around with their nose in their air, in the air, thinking that they're greater than other people. Okay? God loves his children, and he loves it when we come to the realization that we're broken. Okay? He doesn't gain gratification from well, Christ would call it the self-righteous hypocrites, wouldn't he? How many times did, did Christ call uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hypocrites? They were too proud of themselves to admit their own wretched state. So, what Jesus is doing here is he is picturing himself as the shepherd, okay? Christ is the shepherd. He, the, the 99 sheep, okay, represent the scribes and the Pharisees, those who think they're already saved, okay? Now, the lost sheep in this story represents who? Anybody who acknowledges that he's a sinner, okay? In the context with what Dr. Luke is describing, it would be a tax collector or one of the wretched sinners, 
Okay. Well, Christ as the shepherd sees one of his lost sheep, and what does he do? Okay. Well, he has 99 sheep that are already in his fold, okay, in his flock. He knows that they're there. But he loves all of his sheep, and he sees one that's lost. And he goes out to find it. And what does he do when he finds that lost sheep? This is something that's, that's just beautiful to me. Okay, maybe a lot of people don't notice this. But check out verse 5. Underline it for yourself. Or highlight it if you have an iPad or a computer or, an, or a phone. But highlight verse 5. That, to me, this is, it actually, I'm teared up. <laughs> Believe it or not, when I get filled with the Spirit, and I think about this, it breaks my heart. It really does. Because read this. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. <laughs> All of us are lost. Pride gets in the way that we can't see it. But think about this. Seriously. Jesus Christ, God, lowered himself to become man so that he could live and understand what it's like to be a human being. Okay, because as God, he's spirit. He wanted to understand what it's like to be a human being. And he lived that life. And he allowed himself to be tortured in ways that we can't comprehend. And crucified. And he's telling a story about a sinner that's lost, and he's telling it in the form of a parable. And what does Christ do? When a sinner repents and admits that he's lost and broken and needs the love of Almighty God, Christ takes that sheep and he lays it on his shoulders like he's carrying a baby. Do you see the beauty in what Christ is saying here? Sinners, whether we're, it doesn't matter what sin we've done, God will still love us and carry us home with our head on his shoulders and carry us like a babe in his arms. And you just have to see the beauty of that love. Can we as human beings ever really understand that? And these 
the Pharisees and Sadducees are, are sitting there trying to find fault with this beautiful God of Christ. And he's saying, it's okay. I will still love you after you whip me and tear the skin, tear the flesh from my body and beat me and throw a crown of thorns on my head so deep that my scalp bleeds and nail me to a cross and spit upon me and stick a sword in my side. And he says, I still love you so much that I'll carry you home like a baby in my arms. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Christ is teaching in this parable of the lost. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Just admit that you are. Accept him for the king of kings that he is, and he'll carry you home in his very own arms. That is love. The lesson that Christ is teaching is clear. If anyone repents, there will be joy in the heart of God. There will be joy in the hearts of heaven. But these 99 sinners who think that they're in the fold, but have never been convicted of their own lost condition, that doesn't bring joy to the heart of God. I hope that you see the truth that Christ is teaching. Because it's absolutely beautiful. Okay, um, this next story, uh, parable, is similar to the last one. Uh, let's go ahead and read it. <clears throat> Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, um, there's several ways that I've, I've taught this story. Um, one way that's commonly taught is that you could consider the woman in this story 
to be the Holy Spirit. And the lamp that she uses to search for the lost coin is the Word of God. The nine silver coins uh, are drachmas. It's uh, just a... uh, Ten drachmas is the way it's originally uh, should be translated. But the the nine silver coins uh, are those who are unrepentant, are unwilling to admit their lost state. And the one lost coin is the man that's willing to confess that he's 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 a sinner and he needs God. Okay. Uh, now, a coin is an inanimate object, uh, so we could go on different tangents there, but that's not really really necessary. Uh, here in this story, the one lost coin uh, brings uh, the true pleasure to the Holy Spirit compared to the nine that have been lost or to the woman. Uh, and it's the same with God. Another way to look at this is uh, a woman in that time, in that culture, uh, in the nation of Israel, needed 10 silver coins uh, in order to be married. She would braid it in her hair, uh, showing that she's ready to be married. And so, you know, th- there's a lot of different ways you could go with it. But here for us today, uh, the important point is to show that true joy in both of these stories uh, occurs only when the lost come home. Okay? And for now, uh, let's just leave it at that. And uh, I love getting into debates about this, if anybody would like to. I have uh, Uh, an actual book of notes I've written on this because there's so many different ways you could go with it. But that's just digging too far into the Word. And that doesn't uh, doesn't serve the purpose of bringing people home to God. And that's what we're here to do. All right. Uh, Verse 11. Uh, This one is uh, uh, often called uh, the parable of the prodigal son, parable of the lost son, uh, I can really dig into this one deep, but uh, uh, let's just go ahead and dig in. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, before before we go any further, I will share one thing with you. Uh, When I was a professor, I used to have uh, friends uh, around the world, really. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to go to conferences and give lectures, you know, in you know, New York, L.A., things like that. Um, and I would have discussions with people who are in the sciences like I was, but I would always gravitate to those in religious studies as well because of my faith. And uh, I, I came across uh, 
someone who said this. I can't verify that it's true. Uh, so take this uh, or leave it. But he told me, he says, you know what's funny about this parable is that nowhere in literature that he knows of at any time in Middle Eastern literature was there a story about his son going to his father saying, I want my share of my estate, my share of your estate now. Okay. So this was just a guy that, that knew a lot about religious literature and things of this nature. And he said, you know, nowhere was there ever a story like this. Okay. And culturally, what would happen is the older son would get the larger share and then the next son and that there was a, a cultural acceptance a, a, a divvying up so to speak about how uh estates uh were shared with family and so there was already an accept accepted practice so for christ to use this as an example was just really really out there Okay, which is in line with what he does in many of his parables. But I just wanted to share that because every time I get into the story, I think about what that guy said. And then I think about, and it's helped teach me uh, more. This was, I don't know how many years ago. I'm, I'm, you know, but it's helped me. He, by him telling me this story, it helped uh, expand my, my mind, my heart, and my soul a little more every time I read, read about, uh, read Jesus's teachings. And the more you read Jesus's teachings, the more you see he was really, he was really a rock star. He was really out there. He wasn't afraid to go out on a ledge when he told his stories and say unusual things. Okay. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son, notice he highlights the younger son. This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the Old Testament or the Jewish culture, uh, uh, pigs were not culture pigs were unclean so for Christ to use the example of this uh, this this younger son being sent into the field to feed pigs was saying that this younger son in order to survive had to go out and do the dirtiest job you could imagine Okay, so to take this even further, 
Christ said, well, not only did this younger son had to do the dirtiest job you could ever imagine, this would be repulsive to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, just to, so you understand. Uh, the man was so hungry that he ate the food that he was feeding to the pigs, which was even more repulsive. Okay? So this son, who was living with a father, did something unthinkable. He demanded his share of the estate while his father was still alive. That's repulsive. That's offensive. Then this son uh, blew the money. Okay. So he had nothing left and he had to work in the fields with dirty animals, literally dirty, uh, you know, as far as being unclean to the faith. And then to, to further it more, he said he even had to eat the food that he was feeding the pig. This is how far out Christ went. This is this is good stuff. I would have loved to, <laughs> to see Christ tell this story, man. This is good stuff. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. Now, a lot of things going on in this story. Um, let's see, where do we start? Um, okay, so around verse 20, uh, he returns home to his father. Yeah, uh, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, something you might not be aware of is that in the culture of the Middle East, men don't run. Okay? I mean, literally. Uh, uh, in that culture, um, <laughs> I don't want to say too much, but let's just say that it is unbecoming for a, a, a man in the position of the father in this parable to run. As a matter of fact, uh, to give you give you another example, um, 
a long time ago. I had to, I had to work my way through school. I mean, yeah, I had I had over a hundred thousand dollars in student loans that took me forever to pay off, but but uh, I worked full time uh, while I was going to school and uh, all the way through all my degrees, even the extra degrees that I got. But anyway, the story here is that in order to save money, I lived in an apartment with one, two, three, four, five different people packed in there together. Okay, and it was a quote unquote nicer apartment, but because five of us were packed in there, uh, the rent was cheaper than I would have had to pay for a dorm room. Okay, and then I, like every other college student back then, I lived off of Raymond noodles and uh, whatever, uh, you know, food I could come across. Anyway, since it was a quote unquote nicer apartment, uh, in, in the, in the nicer apartments or the nicer apartments that I was living in, uh, we had a rich guy. He was literally the, I don't think he was the son of the prince. He might've been a, a cousin of a, of a Saudi prince or something like that. I didn't know him well, but I knew him and, uh, you know, we knew each other. Uh, uh, to give you an example of this guy, uh, back when I was going uh, to finishing school, we received the AOL three and a half AOL online. The when the internet first began, uh, actually the internet began before that. I worked with the internet before that, but that's another story. Anyway, I need to finish the story. And uh, I used to save three and a half inch floppy disks. I would dig in the trash cans. Uh, to pick them out of the trash cans, uh, everybody would throw them away, right? And floppy disks were expensive. And I would dig them out of the trash cans, and you put tape over over it so you can't write it. Anyway, long story. For those of you that know three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks, you know what I'm talking about. And I would save them, and I had stacks of them on my desk. And I had a computer I'd pieced together from parts that people threw away. Uh, you know, they'd throw this part away. I'd take it and, and add it to mine and slowly improve it. Anyway, this rich guy, I can't remember his name at the moment, but uh, was in trouble. Uh, and I always worked with my with my door, the front door open, and my bedroom was in the back of the apartment with a sliding door, and we had a balcony. And I'd open the front door and the sliding door to let air flow through, uh, you know, so I didn't have to turn air conditioning on because that cost too much money. Anyway, he comes running into the running into the apartment and into my bedroom. He said, Patrick, he always called me Patrick, the way he talked. Patrick, I need a disc. And I said, why? He said, I need a disc. I have to save for for assignment. I said, I'll grab one, bro. It's on the it's on my desk there. And I, I gave one to him and he, he ran out uh, ran out of the room and up his stairs and and uh, I don't know if it was later that evening or the next day, he came and he bought me a, a case uh, of, of three and a half inch floppy disks, which for me was just like a pot of gold, you know. And uh, to me, that was just, it was astonishing. I said, bro, that's too much. Just just keep the disk. No, no, you must have, you must have. I mean, you know, to him, that that was nothing. I didn't know he was rich. I didn't know he was that rich. But anyway... To get to the point of this story, uh, uh, one day we had a tornado warning, and uh, my I studied uh, physical sciences, meteorology, uh, climatology, geology, stuff like that. 
and uh, we had a, a, a actually a tornado watch, and uh, I was standing on a balcony, and he was upstairs in the rich people's, uh, you know, and I was I was I was uh, not on the bottom floor, but up one above the bottom floor, uh, and uh, his father came to see him. And I don't think his father was a, well, he might've been, I don't know, but they came in this big limousine. I mean, not a normal limousine. I mean, it was, it was, it was just, it was just, you've got to be joking me kind of limousine. Right. And that had flags on the front and flags on the back. And, uh, and it, it pulled up it down and I was looking down at this limousine and, and the door opens and there was, I think there were six, six just astonishingly beautiful Middle Eastern women came out of, out of the back of the uh, uh, limousine with these flowing, uh, you know, I forget the name of that. Uh, uh, it's been too long. Anyway, with flowing robes, right? And uh, they came out before his father. And then his father comes out. And right, right then, I mean, just as soon as he, he, he got out of the, the car, the, the tornado warning started blurring. And then he, my buddy starts yelling upstairs to his dad to hurry, get inside a, a tornado warning and, and to get to the stairs, uh, uh, you had to, to go all the way down the length of the building, but the, the car wouldn't fit. And so they had to run a while to get there. And the women just took, take off running. You know, and here we have a tornado warning, and here's this massive thunderstorm, and you could see the funnel cloud beginning to form. It wasn't close, but it was, it was, you know, it was, it was there, you know. So I, I don't want to exaggerate. Maybe, maybe a mile or so away, maybe a little more. And the the women are running, and uh, you know, his son comes downstairs and shows them where to, the women where to go to be safe. And the father looks at his son. He looks up at him running. And then he looks up at me. And he's got on these glasses that, I mean, they're just mirrors, right? You know, and I could tell he was staring at me, but I, I you know, I just basically sat there with my mouth open, agape, you know. And then he looked for me and he looked over at the, at the thunderstorm with the funnel cloud forming. And then he begins brushing his robes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he slowly begins strolling with his hands held just so, you know, to the building. So what I'm getting to with this story is even today, uh, and this is the story I always tell when I, when I teach this parable, is that it is just unbecoming for a, a, a gentleman from the Middle East to rush himself, Okay. So that's another point in this story that you're not normally taught. Well, here, the father in this story runs to his son. That's unheard of. Okay? The father runs to his son and then grabs a hold of him. Now, remember of the sin he committed to begin with and then the sins he committed after that. Well, the father here doesn't care. He runs to his son. He embraces him. He kisses him. Okay? And then what happens? 
The father says, get the finest robe. This is the robe of many colors, depending upon which translation you're reading. Get the ring for his finger. That's a, that's a symbol of honor. The robe is a symbol of honor. The ring is a symbol of honor. Kill the fatted calf. That's a symbol of honor. Okay, again and again and again. The father is saying, my son has come home. Give him honor, even though all this time the son was sinning. The father doesn't care. He came home. His son was lost. But now he's come home. He is found. Okay. Now, what happens next? Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, now remember, the older son was the one that's supposed to get the, the larger share of the estate. Uh, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, this part, uh, <laughs> well, let me read it first and then we'll talk about it. Now, this one, we always get into a lot of, uh, let me just read it. I'll shut my mouth and read it, so to speak. Verse 28, the older son was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, this is the part <clears throat> where I usually have uh, my class or my students or whatever. I ask this question. Uh, the older brother lived, the lived with the father this entire time. He served his father well. Does the older brother have a right to be upset that this uh, younger brother is rewarded in this manner? And always, uh, you know, I, I usually have fairly uh, participatory uh, classes or, or Bible studies. Somebody has enough courage to raise their hand, and they say, well, it makes sense, you know. Here, the, the, the younger brother uh, took his 
uh, his share of the estate while the father was alive, you know, and that's, you know, I already went over all that. I don't need to go over it again. And then he squandered it all away. And the father is rewarding him just for coming home. And what it boils down to is one of Jesus' teachings, and we'll go over it again later, that should you be rewarded for doing what is right? Okay. And the answer is no. You should do what is right because it is right. You should do what is right because you want to live the life that God wants you to live. Okay? You should do what is right because it's the right thing to do. Okay? And you shouldn't, you shouldn't expect rewards or uh, participation trophies for just doing what you're supposed to do. Okay, we all have our daily chores. We all have our jobs that that we're supposed to do. That's just part of life. You shouldn't expect to be rewarded for that. Now, uh, what Christ is teaching here with the older brother, uh, raise your hand if you know the answer. And the answer is this. The older brother in this parable is representative of, of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites, okay? Here, the older brother was consumed with a jealous rage. Uh, as a matter of fact, what, what words does he use? It depends on the translation. Uh, let me see. All that blah, 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 you told me to do. Yeah, At verse 30. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money, okay? The older brother doesn't say, when my brother comes back, he says, your son. He's disacknowledging the brother, okay? Now, what's happening here is the older brother is consumed with a jealous rage of the younger brother. He's acting in a self-righteous manner. A self-righteous attitude has no place in the house of God. Okay? You, or in this case, the older brother, should have been happy. He should have been filled with tears of joy. Why? Because his brother that was lost finally became broken. He became convicted of his own condition, of his sickness. Okay? He should have been filled with tears of joy that his, fa that his brother came back to life by coming home to the Father. Okay? If God is unwilling to forgive the sinners, none of us have a chance at all because none of us are righteous. No, not one. Okay? And so that's what's happening here, especially in today's culture where everybody wants to be rewarded for just doing their job or doing something right, you know? And that's not the way we're supposed to be.
We're supposed to do what's right because we're good people. We're supposed to do what's right because we were created by a perfect God. We were created by a God that loves us even though we're broken. Okay? And that's the introductory version of, of the parable of, of the of the lost son or the prodigal son. We could really dig into that. I, I love digging into it because it's one of my favorite parables, you know. When, when you really get into it, it's the story of redemption for every one of us, okay? The Father welcomes us all home due to the propitiation that his son performed on the cross due to Calvary. And we should all be just ever so grateful for that. Okay, that is the end of, uh, what chapter are we in? 15 in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, as always, if you need to get a hold of me, feel free. Or if you'd just like to, go to goodfriar.com, click on Contact Me. Oh, I meant to add something there. Uh, well, I'll, I'll try to introduce it in a, in a lesson or two, something I did on the side to, to try to gain some income. Um it doesn't cost you anything. I, I don't ask for help. I should, but I don't. But um, as always, allow me to raise my right hand. And Heavenly Father, please bestow upon all who are listening through my raised hand, your loving grace, your loving touch, your love, as I extend to our listeners the blessing of Numbers 624, 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.